Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our cybersecurity podcast. We're so excited for our host, an exceptional guest, Dr. Nikki Robinson. She is an experienced security architecture. She also is a dedicated scholar, which we'll be talking about. Um, Dr. Robbins brings a unique perspective to the show in the field of cybersecurity, emerging technology, also with an expertise and deep insights into the human factor in psychology, which we'll be talking about as well. Also, she has an extinguished background in um, statistical data analytics, Windows Server Management, Team Leadership, Penetration Testing, and Risk Management, and is supplemented by her, Erica, second doctorate of science and cybersecurity? (laughs) Dr. Squared. I just stopped at my master's. So that's amazing, which we'll be talking to her on why she wanted to do too. Uh, Beyond this professional role, Dr. Robin shares her expertise as an Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology IT fellow, an adjunct professor, and a co-host of a cybersecurity podcast. We are truly privileged to have her on the show today. So without further ado, Erica, you ready? Let's get her on the show. Dr. Nikki! Welcome, Dr. Nikki Robinson, to the show. We're so thrilled to have you. We got three cyber chicks on today. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for having me. This is going to be awesome. So going forward, what what do you want us to call you? Dr. Dr. Nikki, Dr. Robinson, Nikki. Nikki Let's go. You know, Dr. Nikki, Nikki's great. Nikki's great. I like Dr. Nikki. We're doing it. Yeah, that's great, too guests agree with us. So welcome, Dr. Nikki. So we're thrilled. But before we jump in, I have a couple of questions for you. So I want to first, it's a two-part question. Okay. First one, why did you get two PhDs? And then the second part of that question is, can you share a little bit about the two PhDs and if they do intersect and how you've been able to leverage them within your cybersecurity career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I usually start with, um, I'm a little crazy, right? Like I, I, <laughs> I think that's why I got to, uh, no, I, I very genuinely love writing. Like it's something I've, I've always really enjoyed. And especially when I came into cyber and moving from it into cybersecurity. Uh, so getting the first DSC in cybersecurity, that for me was like, solidifying everything I wanted to do in security, which was studying vulnerability chaining and scoring and really like diving deep into vulnerabilities. And so I really was like, wow, I can dive deep technically, but in a researcher role. And so getting to sort of blend those two together was um, amazing. And then I did the PhD in human factors. Uh, That one was really for me. That was a, I, I, 
almost went into psychology. I almost studied abnormal psychology um, before getting into IT. So this was like a really full circle thing for me to come back to psychology and like the root of engineering and design. And uh, so, so yeah, so the second one was really just for me. That was really for fun. Um, and I, I also started seeing a lot of the challenges where I was studying vulnerability chaining was wrapped into psychology, how we understand the language that we use in vulnerability uh, management and uh, just sort of the gambit. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to bring human factors in. I'm going to talk psychology. I'm going to get cyber and just wrap it all up together. I love it. And in those two that you that you have being that one is human factor and one is cybersecurity, have you noticed that you leverage either both of them more within the space or maybe one more than another within your current job? Ooh, yeah, great question. I would say probably, I would say I leverage them both equally because the the DSC for me was very technical. That was a quantitative study. It was very statistics heavy. Um, so it brings that sort of data component into what I do in cybersecurity. But the human factor side, I bring a lot into you know, when I'm meeting people the, for the first time, all of that relationship building. And I think that empathy, understanding how security practitioners are using tooling, how they feel day to day, how system owners and account owners feel day to day. So I bring a lot of that, I think, understanding into what I do um, when I'm doing a security engagement. Yeah, I think that that, um, that soft skills is often something that's just not you know, given enough importance um, in certain, you know, career paths, like you think about cybersecurity or you think about like the industries that, that you know, are more technical. For, for example, like you don't think, hey, me having communication skills, me having these interpersonal skills, me having relationship building skills, all of these things are kind of like second thoughts. And then you bring it full cycle and you're like, wow, this is actually making me a better leader. It's making me a more active listener. It's actually helping me bridge this communication gap with teams, helping them understand why they need to follow certain requirements, helping our leaders understand why we need to invest budget in certain things. And you're kind of like bridging that communication gap because you do have um, really two diverse skill sets that you're able to kind of bring together um, to really just give you such a competitive edge. So I really love this background and, you know, everything that you bring to the table. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. I, you know, it's funny. I, I never thought when I got into IT and cybersecurity that I would be able to still like pursue psychology and be interested yeah. in it. And there's so many fields that are opening up now, like cyber psychology and security, human factors, engineering, things like that, that are really starting to, I think, leverage some of these fields and these domains that have been around so, for so long. You know, we have so much great information in human factors and engineering. Why not leverage that and the terminology and the language and the phenomena and bring that into what we do in security? So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm loving it. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, this flows right into my next question. You're part of a remediation team. Um, you know, thinking about like the most common security pitfalls that companies face today, um, thinking about how you present these pitfalls or, you know, vulnerability findings, or let's just say, you know, security issues. When you bring those two leadership teams, um, what are some of those skills that you utilize um, and what are the most common things that you've been seeing in your professional experience? Um, so for, uh, for leveraging a lot of the work that I did with vulnerability training and vulnerability management, 
you know, it's interesting. I see a lot of the same challenges with the way we look at vulnerabilities as single entities. And that was really what sparked my interest in like studying vulnerability management and vulnerability chaining, and then bring that into human factors. And really what I did when I started looking at um, vulnerability chaining is that we have the same problem when it comes to like this really niche area of vulnerability management that we do across cybersecurity, like looking at alerts, like pulling together information. And we look at things and tools like all totally separate. And it's like, we need to really bring that information together to get a whole picture. So you can't just look at one tool and see one thing. You have to really get the holistic picture to figure out what's actually happening. Um, and I think to really direct you know, um, I'm a little biased because I'm in remediation, right? But to 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 direct remediation, but to also direct prioritization of like how we're actually doing things, whether that's vulnerabilities or risk management activities, but to help direct that instead of, you know, trying to fix everything. So in, in your experience, if you had um, to give a piece of advice um, to anybody in a security operations center incidents response role um, in terms of like what they could do to, um, better manage their vulnerability management process. What would you say? Like, what was what would be like one or two pieces of advice that you had for them? Yeah, I would say uh, the biggest thing is you can't fix everything, right? There's no possible way. We have so many critical vulnerabilities coming out all the time, and it's like it's completely impossible to try to fix everything and focus on everything. And so I think looking at those big dashboards with all those big scary red orange numbers is probably not going to be super helpful. So I say, you know, focus on what's exploitable, try to start there. And even stuff that's super exploitable, if it's not external facing, that's still going to be lower risk for me than something that's external facing that maybe has um, customer data on it or that customers are accessing versus, you know, an environment that's maybe a little bit more locked down. So I would say really try to hone in on those things first, mostly because, you know, none of us have the resources or, or ability to fix everything all at once. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great piece of advice. I mean, I was on um, an, on an audit recently where uh, the you know the team's like, hey, you know, I can't pull up these security events because we have thousands of them, and I'm like, yes, I understand, that's normal. Let's figure out you know what the severity is. How are you triaging this? Like, I understand everything's triggering pager duty. We get it. All right, let's try to peel this back to really understand like what are your thresholds and what are those like you know what are those thresholds that you are willing to think about from a risk perspective and what is leadership's risk appetite and kind of bringing that full circle. So yeah, there definitely is only so much um, that you can do. So I love that risk-based approach of just prioritization as um, you know, just kind of like the rule of thumb. Um, we can't do it all. And I think that that's one of like the biggest hurdles that all of us as cybersecurity professionals have to, you know, be faced with um, is that there are so many threats. There are so many technologies. There's so, there's so many hours of work to be done and only so many hours in the day. So I want to add to that really quick before we change and go to the next question is talking about the risk like organizations and them understanding the risk profile, like understanding what their risk appetite is on top of everything. Like it's so many organizations cause Eric and I work in the similar client services and it's like every client you work with it. So many of them have no idea what their risk profile is and they have no idea what is actually important or not important within their space or even know what their high value assets are. It's very, very concerning. Yeah. And it, and back to something you said, um, Dr. Nikki is that, 
security is everybody's responsibility, but the challenge is really how do we get leadership to get everybody to see security as everybody's responsibility? Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing, right? Is that, you know, I I joke a lot with my, you know, fellow security practitioners, but if if we're getting everybody to be concerned with security and be involved, then I shouldn't really have a job. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. I will change careers. I'll figure something out, right? Like, but I think the the biggest thing that we can do as, you know, security practitioners or architects, engineers, wherever we're at in the security program, I think the biggest thing we can do is help people help themselves and understand how to help themselves. Is it's like, hey, when I come in and I'm talking to you about security, I don't need you to understand vulnerabilities in depth. But what I can do is help you to figure out what you're looking at and where to focus. That's my job is to help you so I can come in, help you figure out what you're looking at, and then I can leave and let you do your thing. Because the, one of the other biggest things about security is the way we work with people, right? We're talking about sort of some of those soft skills, but I think that's the other way you can get people to invest in security or to have them listen, right? Is we have to listen to. What are you doing? What are you working on? What are your deadlines? What are your timelines? Uh, what challenges are you facing technically? What are your non-functional, functional requirements? All those pieces so that we can, one, speak their language, help them understand that we understand their problems, and that we can come up with some solution for them that's not, you know, hey, did you check these 300 boxes on this report? You did? Great job, right? It's more like, okay, we understand you've got this problem. Can we do compensating controls? Can we push that date out by a week? Maybe we have to push this up. So it, I think it's really about negotiation and um, collaboration. I love that you said that because I do feel like a lot of security's uh, role is to be that negotiator and to be that, you know, hey, uh, let me let's kind of meet in the middle. So I need to see this, this and this. Let me under, let me help you understand why. And then let's match that with something on your side so that it's it feels like a compromise, but you know, we're still doing, we're moving the needle towards the, the right direction, right? So I am gonna pivot a little bit. Um, you have some experience doing some pen testing. Um, you know, just based on like the most surprising vulnerabilities that you've discovered, um, how would you advise companies to prepare for unforeseen threats or the things that they could be doing like proactively? Yeah, absolutely. I would say just prepare for an incident, right? Like you can focus on patch management. You can do all those things. It's great. Yep. Prepare for those things. But I think if you don't have a really comprehensive incident response plan, then it's not, you know, there's always so much you're going to be able to do to do compensating controls and to try to do network segmentation and all these things that we recommend. So I think at the end of the day, it's sort of like, all right, prepare for that incident. Where is your Where's your resiliency? What are you going to do when the systems go down? Can you bring them back online? Do you have backups? Do you have, what do you have going on that you can recover quickly? So I think it's more about recovery and resiliency versus, yeah. you know, like we can do as much proactively as we want, but you got to be prepared for when that event yeah. comes. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard the quote, you know, it's not um, if it's, uh, you know, when, right? So yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it goes hand in hand, right? With like getting the right controls and, and you talked about it, like you can you can harden your network, you can patch your servers, you can get all of the right like standards in place, policies, you can get all of the things and more, right? Have a very mature control, um, control set, 
But at the end of the day, if you're not focusing on, you know, the planning and the DR table exercises, and then maybe doing true failover and testing your resiliency, and then seeing how your team is going to react in the case of that, and having those right roles and responsibilities too, because some people don't have that true team um, set up. And hey, what if person A is out? Who's their backup? And have you also tested, you know, that backup person? And do they know what they're going to have to do in the case of said incident? Um, And then also, you know, like just from the professional services experience of seeing um, organizations go through said incidents, having that communication also to your vendors, to people that are going to find out about that, like, sometimes organizations don't even think to that level. They only think about like, what are we going to do internally? They don't think about what are we going to do externally when people see this in the news? (laughs) Right, right. It's yeah. A, yeah, I think I think that's such an important point, right? There's internal communications and external communications, right? So that those internal communications are just as important. Who do you talk to? When do you talk to them? Yeah. You know, at what point do you raise, you mm-hmm. know, a hey, I think this looks real bad. Yeah. Um, that's my technical term for a uh, cyber attack. Yes. <laughs> real bad. Real bad. Real bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I think that that's such an important piece too. And that that's one of the things that we see missing in incident response, incident response plans sometimes is the communications piece, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, who do you talk to, but when do you talk to them? Yeah, hundred percent. And so much, oh my God, so much good stuff. So, uh, Nikki, you don't know this, but Erica does. I'm a NIST lover. So just so everybody out there knows NIST actually has this publication, NIST 800. I had, I looked it up really quick to make sure 800, 160 developing cyber resilience system, a system security engineering approach. Great read. Amazing. Yeah, it's a great read. It's honestly not boring, but I don't think really any this framework is because I'm that weird. Um, so back circling back around, um, before we wrap this up, we do have one more question that we want to get to. And it's around you, you like you're really engaged within the cybersecurity space, not only with the education that you're doing, but you have your own podcast that um, you run. You also are a fellow at the Institute for Critical Infrastructure and Technology. You even have a patent. I mean, you've got so much going on. So we're really, really curious on kind of what your perspective is. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit as as far as the importance of educating um, organizations, but really the importance of educating the wider public about cybersecurity. And what are some key messages you think that everyone should know and just take away from this show today? Oh, oh boy. All right. Let me see if I can distill some things. (laughs) Um, Well, I think I would say for like my fellow cybersecurity practitioners, like anyone in IT and cyber, like I just, uh, this has been such a great community to be involved in. And I think that's why I get involved in so many things because I really enjoy this community. I, I, everyone I meet wants to make positive change. They want to be involved. They want to share information. They want to help each other. Um, and I, I would say just get involved in your local cyber community, right? Like whether that's ICIT, there's InfraGuard, there's ISACA, there's ISA, there's ISC squared, like get involved in your local, um, cyber community because the, the best information I've gotten and the most, the, the best way I learn is from other people and getting to do the podcast. We've met so many incredible people like Ron. We met Ron Ross, you know, the, the author of the 800, uh, 161 and 853. Yeah. And I've, I've learned so much by meeting people. So I say, get involved in the community, interact with each other. Um, 
And the other piece that I would end with that has nothing to do with cybersecurity, uh, which is just, I think, spread that kindness to each other because um, we have very stressful jobs. Uh, we do, we, especially if you're an incident response or dealing with things like that, it's very stressful. Uh, so I say, you know, lead with empathy, be kind to each other. And I think that's it. You've been dropping nothing but knowledge bombs this entire episode. This has been awesome. Um, so Dr. Nikki, I hate our time is coming to an end. Um, but you know, I know that you're going to do nothing short of just greatness. So for Everybody listening, watching us right now that wants to follow your journey, that wants to see all of the cool things that you are going to continue to do, um, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so probably LinkedIn is, is probably the best. I try to post <laughs> about, uh, you know, any of the publications or things I'm working on. Um, I, I did write a book last year called Mind the Tech Gap, and um, I think I'm going to keep writing. So I would say maybe like stay tuned on LinkedIn. I'm going to, I think, do some more writing. So Ooh, yeah. stay tuned for more. <laughs> All exciting. right. Well, Dr. Nikki, it's been awesome to having you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. And hopefully we will have you back on again. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for dealing with the dog in the background. I really appreciate that. Oh my that. gosh. <laughs> no, we are, we are furry friend um, moms as well. So we welcome it. Awesome. Do you want to do the wrap at the end? Erica? Yeah, 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 yeah. To ask people to subscribe. Yeah, yeah. All right. And for all of our uh, listeners and viewers, you know, make sure that you uh, like, subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Two Cyber Chicks Podcast with Erica and Jax. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.